Cooper Flag has canceled his upcoming visit to Kansas, and it is a two-horse race to land the top prospect in the 2024 class between Duke and UConn. Who might it be? Let's discuss. You are Locked On College Basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, folks? Welcome into the Locked On College Basketball Podcast, a daily national college hoop show, part, of course, of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Andy Patton, and we got another conference preview today, continuing our series discussing every single conference in college basketball. Today, we're discussing the CAA and if Charleston can repeat as a 30-game winner like they were last season. Before we get into that, though, we're going to talk about Cooper Flagg. Cooper Flagg, the top prospect in the 2024 class. Of course, he reclassified from 2025, so he's going to join college basketball after this upcoming season. And he had a visit scheduled to Kansas. He was going to go to Lawrence, Kansas this weekend, but it has been canceled. This isn't a huge shock. As much as it has seemed like a three-horse race between Duke and UConn and Kansas, most have generally felt that Flag was going to end up at either Duke or UConn. In fact, most people feel like Flag is going to end up playing for John Shire and the Blue Devils, but it does sound like UConn is still in the mix. Most didn't feel that Kansas was a particularly likely destination for Flag. He's a Maine native. He's from the East Coast. Uh, he's much closer to Storrs, Connecticut than he is to Durham, North Carolina, but still much, much closer to both of those places than he is to Lawrence, Kansas. Not that every recruit makes their decision based on proximity to home, but it was a bit of an outlier looking at Kansas as compared to Duke and UConn. Flag did recently visit. UConn reports out of stores are that the visit went very well. I don't know if his decision to cancel his visit to Kansas had a lot to do with UConn's visit specifically. He does have an upcoming visit scheduled to Duke. That is going to take place over the weekend of October 20th through 22nd, which is when Duke is holding their their countdown to craziness event, their first practice of the year. The Cameron Crazies are going to bring the house down as much as they possibly can. At least they better. UConn fans are going to hope that they don't. But if, if they can go out there and show what that fan base is all about, the passion, the energy, the intensity that the Cameron Crazies have been known for for multiple decades now. That's the goal for Duke fans, is to show Cooper Flagg what this team is all about. But right now it does feel like there is at least a chance that Flagg will choose to go to UConn over Duke. Again, proximity is a really, really huge benefit that UConn can sell. You're closer to your family, you're closer to your friends, you're kind of in the same geographical area on the, in the Atlantic coast. Uh, kind of the northeast area where where Connecticut and, of course, where Maine is. It also doesn't help or doesn't hurt, I should say, that UConn is coming off of a national championship. They have proven uh, unquestionably under Coach Danny Hurley that they can win at this level. They can win at the highest level. They can develop NBA talent. You look at the guys coming out of UConn. They have had a ton of success in the NBA really for decades, but especially recently under Danny Hurley. We'll see Jordan Hawkins, I think, is going to have a very productive career. Adama Sanogo, you know, kind of fell victim to that same thing we've seen with a lot of bigs lately, Oscar Shibway, Drew Timmy, et cetera, where they're not really desired by the NBA because of they don't possess the skills that are necessary uh, in the modern NBA. But that's not going to be an issue for Cooper Flagg, for the record. He does not uh, have an issue there. Flagg is, is looking to go somewhere where he can maximize that value and that the maximum value for Cooper Flagg is the first pick in the 25, 2025 NBA draft. And, and uh, it's 
stands to reason that wherever he goes, there's a very real chance that he ends up being that first player selected because he is incredibly, incredibly talented. It still feels like it's Duke's to lose. And I think that the betting odds are going to continue to be in favor of Duke. And certainly that's where I would put my money were I to bet on this particular situation. Although I'm not sure I can uh, advocate for people betting on something like this because high schoolers change their mind all the time. It's definitely not something that uh, is done and until it is done. And even then it, it can it can change even after it's done. But uh, Flag, for those who, who maybe haven't paid a ton of attention to recruits or have maybe only heard Cooper Flag's name a few times. Uh, this is an extraordinarily gifted, talented kid. He, he plays at Montverde Academy in Florida, a uh, place that has produced tons and tons of college talent and NBA talent. The Nemhard brothers both went there. There's a handful of other high-level college and NBA players who have gone to and are currently going to Montverde Academy uh, in Florida. Uh, Flag is a six foot nine forward, and like we said, he kind of just does it all. Defensively, he is already unbelievably talented. And I think that's really the huge selling point right now. The offense is there and it will continue to develop as you would expect from anybody who is as young as flag currently is. But when you have somebody who already possesses the athleticism and the defensive instincts that flag does, it's really hard to, his floor just becomes so much higher. Because even if the offense takes time, even if the three-point shot isn't quite there, even if the handle isn't quite there, which right now those things are kind of not quite there, the ball handling needs some work. We're talking about a six-foot-nine forward. So, you know, I, I don't think that expecting a, a teenager at that size to be an elite ball handler, that's not necessarily a prerequisite skill for him. It's something he can work on. It's something he can get better at. But his shot-blocking ability, his instincts around the rim – his he gives really high level of steals as well. He led his team in steals. He led his team in blocks. Uh, he absolutely balled out last year on the summer circuit. Like this is a player who can do a little bit of everything. And the defensive, uh, the defensive instincts, the defensive abilities that he has shown in high school make him a really high floor prospect. And the ceiling is really high too. There's a reason he's number one in the country. There's a reason he's already mocked in the 2025 first overall pick. There's a reason that uh, he's got so much hype around him uh, as a high school prospect is because the floor is high and the ceiling's really high. The comparisons we've seen a handful of times, this one comes from Jamie Shaw at on three, but he's not the only person who has made this comparison for flag is former Utah jazz forward, Andre Kirilenko. Kirilenko was one of the best defensive players in the entire league, in the entire world during his time playing with Utah. He was a tremendous shot blocker. He was kind of a small forward, power forward hybrid, similar to Flag, who again stands six foot nine, listed as a small forward, but of course could play uh, some small ball four in the NBA and, and in college and could even maybe play some small ball five potentially, depending on, on the situation that he lands in. But a guy who's going to block shots at the next level, a guy who's going to get steals at the next level, a guy who's going to make life really, really difficult for opposing offenses while he's on the floor. And it's not going to be easy for opposing defenses either because he is so gifted with the ball. He's got a high level of, of intelligence in terms of knowing how to get to his spots, how to get his looks, how to find open teammates. He's a good passer. He's a solid shooter. Again, there's some work to be done offensively just in terms of the ball handling skills a little bit. Some of the shot stuff could improve. Uh, but the fact that the defense is already at the level that it is 
the fact that the offense is already at the level that it is as well and is probably going to continue to grow and improve, especially with some college coaching. Uh, really exciting stuff for Cooper Flag. His mom was also a team captain at the University of Maine. Very, very talented basketball player. Helps him in his growth and development. Uh, would be so much fun if Cooper Flag decided, screw it, I'm going to Maine and I'm going to play at the same school as my family. He's not going to do that. He's going to go to UConn or Duke. Uh, again, betting odds are probably saying Duke's going to land themselves a really, really fun player in that 24-25 season. But all we know right now is that it sure looks like Kansas is out of the picture and he's going to be choosing between Duke and UConn in the next couple of months. Well, the CAA has a new name. They have a new team in the conference. They also have a lot of incoming talent to discuss. So we're going to get right into it after a word from today's sponsor, Bird Dogs. Folks, I'll keep this simple. Bird Dog shorts, they make you look good. The Bird Dog stretch khaki shorts are designed to fit slimmer through the thigh and leg, which gives you a more sculpted look. Bird Dogs do the exact same thing as Lululemon, but they fit way better. Part of the reason they fit better than regular shorts is that they are... Part of the reason they fit better than regular shorts that are made of stiff, restricting cotton is because Bird Dogs fixed this issue by inventing cloud knit fabric that looks just like khaki but stretches so that you get a way slimmer fit without having to sacrifice movement. Bird Dogs also uses anti-stink sweat wicking fabric, which keeps you cool and dry all day long. So go to birddogs.com slash college or enter the promo code LockedOnCollege for a free white tech hat with your order. That's birddogs.com slash college or enter the promo code LockedOnCollege for a free white tech hat. You won't want to take your bird dogs off. We promise you. All right, folks, welcome back to another conference preview series here discussing every single college basketball conference in the country as we get closer and closer to the college basketball season. Today we are talking about the artist formerly known as the Colonial Athletic Association. For those who missed this story, the big storyline in the CAA this year is that they are no longer the Colonial Athletic Association, they have changed their name to the Coastal Athletic Association. Smart of them to keep that CAA. That is what they're going to continue to go by. That is what they're going to continue to have as their logo, the CAA logo. So nothing changes all that much other than the full name switching from Colonial to Coastal. Uh, there's a good article about it. They're basically discussing the name change reflecting their recent expansion. They feel that because they're, the conference started in 1979, I think the only team that is still left from the original iteration of the Colonial Athletic uh, Association is William & Mary. So everything has changed. Most of the teams are different than what it was at the beginning, and they felt like changing the name to Coastal Athletic Association more accurately represents the schools that are in the conference, uh, a conference that spans from Massachusetts all the way down to South Carolina, where most of the schools are located, on the coast. So it makes more sense to have that be the team name. Uh, and that includes a new team coming over from the Big South in Campbell. The Camels of Campbell are coming into the Coastal uh, Athletic Association for the 23-24 season. Campbell went 16-18 and 18 last year. They finished 8-10 and 10 in the Big South. Ken Palm had them 226th overall last year. That would have been 6th for the record, in the CAA, six out of the 13 teams that were there last year. So if Campbell can continue to produce at a similar level, there's a decent chance that they will finish in the middle of the pack 
right away in their first year in the CAA. We often see teams tend to struggle a little bit more their first year in a new conference, and that makes sense. They are having to prepare for all new conference opponents where the other teams are only having to prepare for one new team. Uh, There's different officiating styles, various different things that come into playing in a different conference, different travel schedules, all sorts of things. So wouldn't expect Campbell to necessarily be a top five, top eight team right away in the CAA, but a program that has had at least a decent amount of success. Not a lot of tournament success. Most of the teams in these conferences haven't done that. Uh, This is the last time that Campbell made the NCAA tournament was 1992. So maybe not going to be challenging right at the top of the conference anytime soon, but wouldn't be surprised to see this team move into the middle of the pack in the next couple of years. Speaking of lack of tournament success, that's kind of a big storyline in the CAA. Everybody's talked about Charleston. There's a lot of really good teams in this conference, but there hasn't been a single team that has advanced in the NCAA tournament since 2012. It has been over a decade since a team in the CAA won a game in the NCAA tournament. Charleston, of course, 30-win team last year, popular, trendy, trendy pick to be a 12-5 upset last year, and they only lost by six in their first round game. And the team they played, five-seeded San Diego State. They lost by six to the team that went to the national championship game. That is a really darn good season for Charleston last year. But again, that streak has continued of not winning games in the NCAA tournament. The question now becomes, can Charleston do it this year? Or is Charleston even going to be the team that wins that automatic bid out of the CAA? UNC Wilmington looks very good. Hofstra went 16-2 and last year. We're going to talk more about some of those teams, who might win this conference, who might be challenging for an NCAA tournament bid to close out the show, but wanted to highlight the the fact that it has been a long time since a team in this conference has won that automatic bid and actually turned it into a win in the big dance. As we typically do here when we talk about uh, biggest storylines for these conferences, we're going to take a look at the coaching changes. Just one new coach coming into the CAA this year. That's at North Carolina A&T. They're replacing Philip Shumpert with Monty Ross. Shumpert was an interim head coach last year, went 13-19 and in his lone season as the head coach of the Aggies. They're going to go ahead and bring in Monty Ross. Monty Ross has been in college basketball pretty much consistently since 1993. He's been assistant coach at a ton of different places. Took over as the head coach at Delaware back in 2006 and was the head man there for 10 years, led Delaware to an NCAA tournament appearance in 2014. Overall, though, just went 132 and 184, while with the Blue Hens, just under 42% of his games won, ended up getting canned in 2016, took over as an assistant coach at Temple in 2019, and has spent the last couple of years at Temple before now getting a chance to come back into the CAA and take over as the head coach at North Carolina A&T. As we also do here, a lot of the time discussing these small major, these low major conferences, uh, one of the big storylines, unfortunately, as it tends to be in the transfer portal era, is the amount of talent out the door. Uh, And it's a big, big story in the CAA because not only do they lose a bunch of players to the transfer portal, 
most of them ended up at power five schools, or at least mo- a lot of the key ones ended up at power five, power six programs, which is certainly uh, notable in terms of how the rest of the uh, college basketball world viewed the talent level that was in the CAA this past season. Three first teamers have entered the transfer portal and gone on to power six programs. That includes conference player of the year, Aaron Estrada, who moves from Hofstra to Alabama. He was a two-time CAA player of the year, began his career at Oregon, went to Hofstra, won that award twice, and now he's going to Alabama. going to be really interesting to see how he adjusts to playing for Nate Oates' offense in the SEC. You also have fellow first-teamer Jameer Nelson going from Delaware to TCU. Uh, Jameer Nelson, of course, the son of Jameer Nelson, the uh, longtime NBA point guard, Uh, and so we'll see how Nelson does uh, Justin going over to TCU and joining that program. Uh, And then you also have another first-teamer, Nick Timberlake, going from Towson to Kansas. Timberlake is expected to be the uh, starting three for Kansas, going to be a floor spacer, stretch four guy for Hunter Dickinson and, and, and Bill Self's offense over with the Jayhawks. And then you have second teamer Cam Woods going from North Carolina A&T to NC State and third teamer Jamil Telfort going from Northeastern to Butler. Again, five guys who are first, second or third teamers in the CAA, every single one of them ends up at a power six program. Once again, telling you that the level of talent, at least at the top end of the CAA is, is pretty well perceived by others in the industry. We will see how these players do making that leap from this conference over to those power six conferences. But uh, Bill Self doesn't bring guys in who he doesn't think are really going to be able to help. Same with Nate Oates, same with Jamie Dixon. I think there's a real chance that these guys are going to contribute right away uh, and kind of help prove that the level of play at this conference is is as solid as, as many have believed watching them for the last couple of years. And closing it out here, talking about some guys coming the other direction, players who are coming from higher level programs and transferring over uh, to the CAA. A few guys I want to highlight. We'll talk about a few more guys later as we start looking at our favorites and dark horse teams. But KJ Jenkins comes from New Mexico to UNC Wilmington. Caleb Dorsey comes from Penn State to William and Mary. Niels Lane comes from Florida to Delaware. And Tristan Maxwell going from Georgia Tech to Hampton. Well, like we said, Charleston, first ever 30-win season last year. Can they do it again? Or will somebody like UNC Wilmington or even a dark horse candidate take the throne, earn that automatic bid in the CAA, and potentially break the decade-long streak of not winning a game in the big dance? We'll talk all about that after a word from today's sponsor, FanDuel. Snap into action this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers can bet $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $200 in bonus bets guaranteed, win or lose. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there is no better time than right now to get in on the action. The app is super easy to use. You can bet on all sorts of stuff like spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, an official partner of the NFL. All right, folks, closing out the show today, continuing our conversation about the Coastal Athletic Association, the new named CAA as we get into closer and closer to the college basketball season. First off, I want to thank all of you who have made Locked On College Basketball your first listen or your first watch of the day. Shout out those of you checking out the show on YouTube as well. We're going to continue our conversation about the CAA, starting with the favorites to win this conference this upcoming season. And we got to start with Charleston. 
because Charleston won 31 games last year. They went 31 and four. They went 16 and two in league. They lost two games back to back by five combined points. That was it. That was it. Otherwise, they would have run the table in the CAA. And this is a team that definitely had to make some changes this offseason. They lose Dallin Bolin, who averaged 12 and four for them last year. They also lose a pair of double digit scores in Ryan Larson and Pat Robinson. Robinson was the sixth man of the year in the conference last year, but they do keep some key players as well. Again, a lot of teams at the lower major level like this who have a tremendous season like they did, you're going to see five, six, eight guys enter the transfer portal. For them to lose three key pieces, but still maintain three key players as well, is pretty good in the modern era. That's pretty solid for them. They keep Rain Smith. He averaged about 11 points per game last year. They keep Ante Zovic, who averaged 11 and a half points and six boards. They keep Ben Burnham, who averaged nine points, 3.7 boards, and also was a sharp shooter, 44% from deep last year. Beyond that, they also bring in some pretty premier talent. Again, a program with that kind of pedigree is going to get some names in the transfer portal. The name they landed is CJ Fulton from Lafayette. Fulton averaged 10.4 points, five rebounds, and five assists last year at Lafayette. 10, 5, and 5 while shooting just under 39% from deep. Always good to get a point guard in who's got that kind of experience, who stuffs the stat sheet that way, who spaces the floor the way that Fulton is capable of. They also add an in-conference transfer from Stony Brook in Francie Policelli. Frankie Policelli, excuse me. Uh, Policelli averaged just under 14 points, nine and a half boards per game last year. He's a grad transfer, lots of experience, lots of experience in the CAA. He also was a 37% shooter from deep. So they get guys coming in who have experience, guys coming in who have played, who have produced at previous schools and guys coming in who can shoot the rock. They're going to space the floor really well. This is a, a tough team to beat. Pat Kelsey, of course, a fantastic coach. I think there's a lot of optimism that Charleston, maybe they don't go 31 and four. It's pretty darn hard to replicate that, but uh, there are some teams that are going to contend with them and we'll talk about them. But at the end of the day, this is not going to be an easy team to get out at any point during the conference season. Do you want to talk about UNC Wilmington? No, I think they are the most likely team to really challenge uh, Charleston at the top of the conference. They went 24 and 10 last year. They went 12 and 6, which was tied for third in the conference last year. They lose Amari Kelly and Jamari Thomas, two guys who averaged about seven points per game last year, but they returned four of their five starters. They returned leading, leading scorer, excuse me, Trezarian White, who averaged about 14 points per game last year. They also had a pair of productive transfers in Ahmad Harvey, who averaged 4.3 points and seven rebounds at high point. He's going to kind of anchor them down low on the block. They also had KJ Jenkins, who we mentioned earlier, guy who averaged seven and a half points per game at a very solid New Mexico squad in the defensive focus Mountain West Conference. That's some good stuff to bring in. They're a very good defensive team. They keep their starting point guard, Shaquem Phillips, who was one of the best defensive players in the conference last year. Takayo Siddle's been very successful as the head coach at Wilmington. This team has a lot of continuity. They added some key pieces around the edges. They didn't lose a ton. I think it's hard to ignore this team as a potential real threat to Charleston at the top of the conference standings. And then the last team I want to mention before we get to the dark horse uh, is Hofstra. Hofstra went 16-2 and two last year. Speedy Claxton was the coach of the year. You can't just ignore a team that went 16-2 and two in conference play, but they lose Aaron Estrada, two-time 
CAA player of the year, averaged over 20 points per game last year. They also lost Warren Williams, who was a key piece for them. They do still have Tyler Thomas. Tyler Thomas is a grad transfer, or excuse me, a graduate student who averaged 16 and a half points per game last year. He's going to take on a bigger role, real chance uh, that he's going to be that player of the year. We'll talk about that a little bit later, but uh, to keep a 16 point per game scorer for a team that went 16 and two last year, yes, you lose Aaron Estrada, but there's still a lot of talent on this Hofstra team, and I wouldn't count the pride out in any capacity. Let's talk Dark Horse, though. My Dark Horse team, I try to pick teams that finish fifth or lower. Uh, Drexel barely qualifies, but they did go 10-8 and eight last year in the CAA. They finished fifth. They went 17-15 and 15 overall. And again, we've talked about this a lot on Locked On College Basketball, and especially at the lower levels, I think continuity is so key in terms of being able to get off to a good start and, and be productive right away. And, and Drexel returns 11 of their 12 leading scorers. That's basically everybody. The only guy they lost is Coltrane Washington, who averaged 9.2 points per game last year. Everybody else is back. They have 86.3% of their minutes from last year's roster back in the fold. Again, continuity is key, and they have it here at Drexel. But you don't just want to bring back all your players from a team that wasn't very good. And again, this team was over 500 in regular season, over 500 in the non-conference, and they keep really talented players like Amari Williams two-time defensive player of the year in the CAA. He's six foot 10. He averaged over two blocks per game. He's a fantastic shot blocker, really, really good anchor for this team down on the block. They also had a player in Lucas Monroe from Penn. Monroe averaged 5.6 boards last year. He was kind of a key glue guy, do it, do it all six foot six guard. And I think he's going to have a really valuable role for Drexel. And I think you got to shout out coach Zach Spiker here. They have, he's been there eight years. And Drexel has either equaled or raised their win total every single year, excluding the COVID season. When in the COVID season, they were going to qualify for the NCAA tournament. Uh, but excluding that year, Drexel has raised their win total or equaled it every single year. Zach Spiker continuing to make this team grow and grow. And there's reason for optimism that this is going to be another big year for Drexel uh, in the CAA. Wanted to tier out the conference here real quick before we get to our awards. Tier one is kind of the top three teams that we talked about, Charleston, UNC, Wilmington, and Hofstra. I think Hofstra, there's some concern they may drop a little bit, but I think you got to put them in tier one after going 16-2 and two last year. Tier two is where we find Drexel as well as Towson and Delaware. Tier three, we got four teams there. These were all the teams that were kind of around 500 last year. William and Mary, Stony Brook, and Northeastern. I also have added Campbell, who I think can be around a 500 team uh, in this conference as soon as their first season. And then we rounded out with tier four, North Carolina A&T, Elon, Monmouth, and closing it out with Hampton. Closing out the show today with our award predictions. We got player of the year, newcomer of the year, coach of the year, and defensive player of the year. We will start with player of the year, and I spoiled it for you a little bit earlier. That's Tyler Thomas from Hofstra, guy who averaged 16 and a half points per game last year. He averaged about four boards. He shot about 41% from three. Again, you average 16 points per game when you have a teammate who averaged 20, and now that teammate's gone. 
pretty pretty safe to expect that Thomas is going to take on a bigger load scoring the basketball this year. You've got to hope that his other teammates can help him out so that he doesn't get swarmed defensively. Uh, if that happens, he's a guy who could average 17, 18 points per game next year. Reasonable chance that that's enough for him to win player of the year, especially if Hofstra produces and is in the top three of the conference. I'll give an honorable mention here to Trezarian White from UNC Wilmington, who I think has a real chance at this award as well. Newcomer of the year, C.J. Fulton from Charleston, uh, from Lafayette, I should say. I talked about him a little bit earlier, the guy who averaged 10, 5, and 5, shot 38% from deep last year. I expect Charleston to be no worse than third in the conference, probably second, if not first. Uh, this year. And I think that uh, starting point guard, transfer veteran guy, guy who produced with legitimate numbers at Lafayette, if he puts up numbers similar to that, he's a guy who's going to get a lot of attention, not only as a as the newcomer of the year, but potentially as a first teamer uh, in the CAA this season. Coach of the year, I'm going with Zach Spiker at Drexel. I talked about him already. Guys improved this team's record every single year since he has taken over as the head coach uh, eight years ago. 17 wins last year. If they keep producing, if they keep winning, could it be a 20-win season for Drexel? Is that enough for him to win coach of the year? It probably should be. If they finish top four, they were fifth last year. So if they finish fourth, third, maybe they finish second. Heck, I don't think it's crazy to think they could win the league. But if they win 20 games and they finish top three in the league, I think he's the one who takes home the award, even over Pat Kelsey, even over Siddle, even over some of the other really good coaches. Speedy Claxton, who won this award last year. Like, There's some great coaches in the CAA, but I think Zach Spiker and the, the trajectory that they have been on at Drexel is going to be enough for them to take home this award uh, this season. Closing out the show, Defensive Player of the Year. This is an easy one, Amari Williams. He won it two years in a row. He's back. He's probably going to win it again. At Drexel, starting center, over two blocks per game. One of the most productive shot blockers in the entire country last year. Hard to imagine he doesn't win it again. If he doesn't, it's probably because Shaquem Williams at, sorry, Shaquem Phillips at UNC Wilmington is the guy who was one of the most productive in terms of getting steals last year for Wilmington. I could see him sneaking it if there's some voter fatigue on Amari Williams, but it's probably going to be one of those two guys. All right, that's going to do it for today here on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Thank you so much for making this show your first listen or your first watch every single day. Check us out on YouTube if you have not done so yet. We're hoping to get to 2,000 subscribers before the start of the season. You can help us out by going to YouTube, searching Locked On College Basketball, and hitting that big red subscribe button. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, as always, peace out.